Hi and welcome to episode 144 of the Photography Explained podcast. I'm your host Rick and in each episode I will try to explain one photographic thing to you in plain English in less than 27 minutes-ish without the irrelevant details. What I tell you is based on my lifetime of photographic experience and not Google. Okay, lots of Google in this one, lots of research. So in this episode, how technology and cameras helps us to take photos, and also some more thoughts on the last episode, how is artificial intelligence used in photography? Will AI ever replace me? Hasn't done so far. But let's get stuck into the answery bit. Technology and cameras in 2022 helps us photographers to take better, higher quality, sharper photos. The technology helps us to take these photos in more challenging conditions than ever before. Technology has made cameras quicker, smaller, lighter and quieter. Technology in cameras has made it easier for photographers of all abilities to take photos using advanced techniques once available to pro photographers only. Technology in cameras has closed the gap between consumer and pro photographers. And finally, technology in cameras has of course transformed mobile phone technology into what it is today. Alright then, plenty to get stuck into in this one, which is good. That was my answer, but before the talky bit, I want to give you some examples. See, technology and cameras is a vast subject, bigger than I... Well, I should have known, really, shouldn't I? But bigger than I was expecting. So how do I break this down and make sense of it? Well, great question, Rick. Basically, by working. See, I've done some research, and I'm going to quickly go through some great examples of technology and cameras. Now, yep, some of it I already knew about, and some of it is completely new to me. I will be brief because there's quite a lot of good stuff to cover and I had to remove some things from my list as I'm not ready for an hour-long episode yet (laughs) and I'm sure you're not either. (laughs) Right, camera size. Well, cameras are getting smaller and there's more and more tech packed into them. Is this a good thing? Well, like a lot of things in photography, it just depends. The rule of thumb back in film days was the larger the film size, the higher the quality of the photos. And then when we swapped camera film for a digital sensor, the same thing applied in general. And that's why we still have full frame and medium format cameras, because if that wasn't a differentiation, blimey, that's a good ad lib, there'd be no need for medium format cameras. But tech has closed the gap, meaning that cameras with smaller sensors can compete with their bigger rivals more and more so year on year. I use a Micro Four Thirds camera for my travel photography work and a Canon 6D for my architectural, construction and real estate photography work. And I prefer the handling of my Canon 6D, if I'm honest, as I'm a bit clumsy and it suits me better. Now, sure, my Olympus is smaller, but it's not that much smaller, to be honest, with the lens that I use. But with the tech in the camera, it could take photos that stand next to those from the Canon 6D. You can't tell them apart, and I've proved that in the past. So tech has helped make cameras smaller, and will make things smaller still in the future but there are still optics and handling to remember. Let's not forget you can make things as small as you want, but some clumsy person like me has to be able to look through the viewfinder at something and press the buttons. So, no, you can't just keep on getting... Well, you can keep on getting smaller and smaller, but we're still humans taking photos, unless AI takes over, in which case we might as well just give up. Okay, image stabilisation. Now, some of the new Canon mirrorless cameras, they give an amazing eight stops of in-body image stabilization. Now, it's IBIS for short, but I can, I can manage to say the four words with, with no trouble. <laughs> Easy for me to say most of the time. So what does this actually mean? 
You have to excuse my coughing and spluttering here. I'm having a bit of a coldy day, which is not great for recording day, but I'll try and get through it and edit out all the coughing. So what does this mean, eight stops of in-body image stabilisation? Well, if you're going to take a photo with a shutter speed of 1 60th of a second handheld, you can now take a photo with an eight-stop shift in exposure. So what does that mean? Well, let's work it out. Starting at 1 60th of a second. One stop is... That's one stop slower shutter speed, just to get that right, because that wasn't in my script. So if we reduce the shutter speed by one stop, that's one thirtieth of a second. Two stops, one fifteenth. Three stops, one eighth. Four stops, a quarter. Five stops, a half. Six stops, one. Seven stops, two. Eight stops, four seconds. Yes, according to Canon, you can take photos with a four second exposure handheld. I mean, one thought there is, is this the end for the tripod? Four seconds. It's quite literally amazing. Four seconds, really? Have you ever tried it? Why not go out with your camera and take a photo with a four-second shutter speed and watch how blurry it is? That will be rubbish. I can pretty much guarantee you that. Unless you're a tripod. (laughs) Or Or your specialist subject is standing dead still for four seconds. And what this really means is that the tech will help us to take sharper photos in normal conditions. And it also allows us to take photos handheld with longer focal length lenses or with longer shutter speeds. Either way, the tech's helping us and it's helping us in a pretty big way. Well, that's actually a massive way. Let me say that again. Eight stops. Absolutely bonkers. Moving on, electronic viewfinder. Well, my Canon 6D has an optical viewfinder. See, I actually look through the camera lens using a mirror box and other clever optical stuff. It's the stuff behind the viewfinder and in between that and the lens. Now, if you ditch all that, what you've got is a mirrorless camera. Yep, that's what a mirrorless camera is. It's it's an SLR without a mirror. That's why new people look at the camera and go, well, why is it called mirrorless? I never said it had a mirror. So that's where that came from. So that's mirrorless cameras explained in seconds. And with a view and <laughs> and with a mirrorless camera, the viewfinder is digital. So why is this important? Well, simple. With my Olympus EM5, which has an electronic viewfinder, EVF for short, I can look at the photo I've just taken in my viewfinder, and that is amazing. And until you get used to it, it's not a little bit spooky. <laughs> Having used optical viewfinders for years, the first time I did it, I didn't know I'd taken the photo, and I thought I was still looking at what I was taking a photo of because my camera was on a tripod, and then it disappeared again. I was like, hmm, what happened there? But it's brilliant. It seriously is. And it stops you having to struggle to look at an LCD screen. I absolutely love it. Moving on again, speed. Well, cameras are getting faster. And that's in terms of the time taken to make calculations, such as for exposure. And also focusing and the number of frames per second. So what's the fastest camera, I hear you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's one one that takes 70 trillion photos per second. Yeah, really. That's not even a number that I can comprehend. 70 trillion photos per second. But for conventional cameras, well, for a change, I'm going to go away from Canon. I'm going to take the Nikon Z9. Now, I do believe on other shores it's called a Nikon Z9, but I'm in England and that's how we speak. See, the Z9 can do 20, 30, even 120 frames per second. And it depends on the settings that you choose when you're taking the photos, of course. Let's just take that lowest number 
and this is the lowest number, 20 frames per second. Just think what you can do with that. I mean, for me, I take one photo at a time, so, so I'm okay, thank you very much. 20 frames a second. I can take 30 photos on a shoot. If I'm being absolutely, if I'm, if I've absolutely nailed every shot that I take, because I normally give a client 20 to 30 photos. So if I can take 30 photos, I've nailed a shoot and, um, you can do, <laughs> you can do that in one and a half seconds with a Nikon Z9 or Z9. I think Z9 sounds better, doesn't it? Okay. Image sensors. Well, image sensors are getting better, but not necessarily bigger. Well, they're not physically bigger because the size is constrained. Tech is bridging the gap between sensor size and image quality. Well, look what you can get with a phone, and that is a tiny sensor. Now, I know in theory, bigger is better, but are we at the point now where, with everything else going on, sensor size is irrelevant? I mean, if we're not now, we can't be far off it, surely. And then that takes me nicely on to megapixels. Now, megapixels used to be a biggie. The more megapixels, the better. Now, one megapixel is one million pixels, by the way. And what's a pixel? Well, <laughs> there are many definitions of what a pixel is, but this is the one I use. Pixels are the little things that make up a photo. I know it's not a great definition. Well, it's not any definition, is it? But it's one of those things I don't need to understand. See, my Canon 6D, it's an old camera these days. It's, it's a 20 megapixel camera. That means it's got 20 million pixels. Now, do I need to know what they are? No, I just need to know there's 20 million of them, and I can't see them. So no, I am good with that. Now, going back to the Nikon Z9, that's got, um, well, 45 million pixels. Yep, that's double what my Canon 6D has, but it's not as many more as I was expecting. Because the Canon 6D, I think it was released in 2014, so it's been out there a good few years, and the Z9 is quite recent. But this is the point, the race for more pixels is pretty much over. Other factors are coming to play, meaning that more pixels is no longer better. See, more pixels equaled larger file sizes and more data, which wasn't necessarily a good thing. So the clever folks who make cameras and sensors have found other ways of making things better. And that's what we want our tech to do, isn't it? Image quality. Well, general image quality improves when you put all the bits of tech together. I mean, looking at the advances in the quality of photos you can get with a phone, that tells us all we need to know, doesn't it? If you're old enough to remember when camera phones first came out, the, the photos were, well, they were great because you didn't have anything before that. But you compare, I don't know, photos from a phone from 10 years ago to now, and there's a massive difference, and especially when you get into low light. You can apply that point to, um, to cameras, but it's not quite as much as with phones because you were starting from a more advanced position with a camera than you were with a phone, which was no camera. But the tech is helping us to get higher quality images, which is a good thing, of course. And it's helping more of us to get higher quality photos, closing the gap between pros and amateurs. And you can apply all that good stuff to video quality as well. I was going to do video separately, but there's no point in saying the same thing twice, is there? You probably get enough of that from me. Right, let's get a bit of camera-specific stuff now. Autofocus. <laughs> My Canon 6D has 11 focus points. And I manually select the one that I want to use. 11 focus points. That's, that's 10 more than I need, to be honest with you. And I really do use one at a time. But the Canon EOS R3, it has 4,779 selectable AF points. Yes, in case you misheard me, 4,779 selectable 
AF points. And I might have misread this, but on the Canon website, it says you can put them anywhere you want them. Really? I'm glad I'm sat down when I wrote this, because, well, it just gets more and more ridiculous. So, 4,779 selectable AF points. There's so much more to it. So, sticking with the Canon EOS R3, you have something called iControl AF. Yep, iControl AF. You can select an autofocus point by, by looking at it. Press the shutter release button halfway and focus is selected of what you're looking at. Not only focus of it, but continuous tracking of the subject too. Continuous tracking of something that you're no longer looking at, that your camera knew you were looking at it at the time. It's just incredible, isn't it? There's more though. And this camera can, using, and I quote here from the Canon website, Deep Learning AI, recognise people, animals, and motorsport vehicles. Obviously fast-moving things, and people. (laughs) And no doubt more to follow that will be detectable and trackable. And there's more. If that's not enough for you, it is for me. Eye detection. The Canon R3, let's keep going with this technology, this amazing, amazing technology. The Canon R3 can detect a human's eye. If their eyes aren't visible, then priority is given to the face. I mean, why why stop there? It can do the same for animals and even, wait for it, birds in flight. Where will this technology progression ever end? Well, that's a very good point. I think we don't know what the limits are to things that we haven't got yet. Remarkable things, these. They really are. I mean, it's it's the eye one that gets me. I'm going to have to scroll back on my script to get this. Eye control AF. So you can tell your camera that when you look at something, it's going to focus on that and it's going to track that focus of that thing while you're looking at something else. That blows my mind, that does. So where will this ever end? Well, it's going to end right here because I need to come back to this next week. There's just there's too much to this. See, once I started looking into it, I found a few other things that I want to find out more about and share those thoughts with you. And they are focus bracketing, post-focus simulation, in-camera HDR, JPEG presets, high-resolution modes, processing in camera, wireless live streaming, in-camera forgery-proof technology. What? Then we've got some other stuff like lens coatings. There's lots on the editing front. AI stuff, phone technology, image processing. All sorts there. So lots more for the next episode. Right, the talky bit. That was a factual bit now for a talky bit, starting with this. Blimey. (laughs) Tech is amazing. And amazing tech helps us to take more amazing photos. Now, I know I'm not at the cutting edge of some of this stuff. Well, most of it between us. But I do use an advanced technique to get my photos. Okay, I might use only one focus point selected manually, and that's fine. And this is the point I want to make. We don't really need to get too worked up about all this stuff. And more importantly, we don't have to use all of this tech all of the time for every photo. We need to use the tech when it will help us. I mean, do I need eye detection AF? No, I don't, but others do, and it is amazing. And I fully get the fact that tech that is being developed now is fantastic and will be used by all of us at some point in the future. 
See, I'm just not an early adopter, and that's fine, but I, but I do value the advances in tech as I know that they will trickle down to all of us in one form or another. Think about F1, Formula 1 racing, in case you didn't know. Now, you don't need an F1 car, do you? I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure, I wouldn't say no, but... I'm not sure where I put the shopping, to be honest, and I don't think it'll fit in a standard parking bay. But I'm sure that... <laughs> Sorry about that. But I'm sure that many of us are benefiting from advances in that tech, which now can be found in conventional cars. I mean, the car I drive, it, it can go faster than 100 miles an hour. I mean, I've never done this myself. It's illegal over here. So what's the point of that? But it will tell me if I've drifted above 75 miles an hour. In my car, there's tech I never use. And there is tech that helps me. Don't dismiss tech. Use it when it will help you. Use it to make stuff easier, quicker, better. But remember this, photography is drawing with light. Photography is not all about getting 30 frames per second. Again, I've been thinking about that, 30 frames per second. On a shoot, I might take 30 photos in a two-hour session. Just saying, I know I mentioned that in the script, but <laughs> I've forgotten I'd include it later on. So um, if I remember, I'll delete the first reference. If not, I've made the point twice. And another point, you can have all the best most amazing tech ever but if your composition's rubbish guess what you'll still have a rubbish photo tech helps us to take photos but it doesn't help us to take better composed photos i'm sure there are some things that assist with this but tech has not replaced the human eye the human brain and all that goes with these two amazing things which are still better than any tech out there and tech hasn't replaced and neither has ai and i i'm sat (laughs) I was going to say I'll stand to be corrected, but I'm sat down. But I'm confident in saying that AI and other tech has not replaced the human emotion, feeling, all that soft stuff that makes us what we are. See, when you're taking a photo, you've got all these things that you're considering and how it makes you feel, what makes it interesting to you. AI can't do that. Not the same way that we can yet. Back to composition, which is what you include in a photo. Which would I put first in order of importance? Composition or technology? Well, it's composition all day long, every day, without fail. And this will not change, not for me, no siree. Whatever the advances in tech, a rubbish composition will always equal a rubbish photo. It doesn't matter how sharp it is. Or the fact that you took a 75-second exposure handheld hanging off the edge of a mountain in a blizzard whilst having your ankles chewed by polar bears. No, if the composition's rubbish, then the photo will be rubbish. And that's all anyone apart from you will care about. Blimey, I never, <laughs> I never expected to use the phrase having your ankles chewed by polar bears in my podcast. <laughs> See, this is the thing. When somebody else is looking at a photo you've taken, they don't care about anything other than what they can see and how it makes them feel. If it's interesting, do they like it? Everything else is irrelevant. And that is such an important point that I should make on every episode of my podcast and every blog post. If your photo's rubbish, it doesn't matter how much your camera costs. Point made. Okay, talk a bit over. What if I only use a phone? Well, if you only use a phone, you're already slap-bang in the middle of much of the latest tech. Nice and simple. And you're a party to the most rapid advances in image capture tech, for sure. Of course, there is stuff that you can find on cameras that you cannot find on cameras in phones, but, but you'd expect that, right? But in phones, you have amazing tech for image capture and, of course, sharing. 
So if you only use a phone, you have much of the latest tech helping you to take each and every photo. And you're also benefiting from constant updates in apps and the computational stuff that is done. I say, <laughs> I say computational stuff because this is way beyond my levels of comprehension. That's an important point, that, about constant updates. Because my Canon 6D, I bought it in 2014 to 2015. I can't remember now. It's so long ago. I've never updated it. <laughs> I've never updated the firmware, which you meant to do. So it's it's as it was when I bought it. But, on I mean, you probably get, well, I get fed up with all the constant updates on apps, but there is a plus side to it. I do sound quite old sometimes, don't I? Anyway, back to me. What do I do? Well, I use a Canon 6D. So in tech terms, I'm quite old school and low tech. But the Canon 6D has a great 20 megapixel camera sensor. And it also has lots of other stuff built in. But that old days, <laughs> that old days back, like I say, to um, well, 2014-ish, when the Canon 6D was released. But I do take three photos and put them together in Lightroom. And this is quite an advanced technique. I mean, tech-wise, it's basic, but taking photos-wise, it's quite advanced. And I couldn't have done that 20 years ago. Not with, um, well, I could have done with a film camera, but it would have been a little bit more complicated. Now, I also use an Olympus EM5 Mark II for my travel stuff. And this camera, I'm quite surprised by this. It was first released in 2015. I thought that was much more current, to be honest with you. That's quite disappointing. I use tech in my phone and I use tech in my image processing, but I am not and do not claim to be at the forefront of tech. And there is a problem with all of this. I've, I've read into this and it's got to me a bit. The question I was dreading asking myself, do I want a new camera though? Yes, I do. I really do. Um, I don't need one, but I want one. Oh dear. Right. I think I need to move on. Some thoughts from the last episode. How is artificial intelligence used in photography? Will I ever replace me? Well, AI is the future. I mean, it's the present, but in the future, there'll be much more of the things that we're already using and taking for granted AI-wise. And that's in general terms a good thing. Where this is not a good thing is where it replaces the need for humans. And more scary than all of that is machine learning, where things learn from what they have done. No, AI will not replace me. I've been thinking about this. I came, <laughs> I came up with a great point. This might sound stupid to you, but I think this is... Well, it's not genius, but I think it's good. Here we go with this one. Wait for it. Now, as clever as AI stuff is, how will the AI thing get to a site to photograph a building? How will an AI thing, whatever it may be, meet with a client, talk to the groom, talk to them, agree what is needed and go away and do it? As long as humans require things, there will always be a human element in the provision of that thing. Well, for now, anyway. No, AI cannot drive to a site, not yet, not in this country, and do what I do. So there you go. I have convinced myself that AI will not replace me. I should make that a separate episode and see what AI comes out and gets me. Yes, this is a fundamental issue that greatly reassures me. No, AI is not going to take over and run the world. I'll say that quietly in case you're listening. And what do I use AI for? Sky replacement is the main thing I use AI for. And a load of other automated clever stuff that Lightroom's doing. And my, Well, no, my camera's not doing much of that. Well, it is actually. It's doing some clever stuff. But that's more electronic, isn't it? No, AI-wise, sky replacement and some of the auto settings on the Lightroom processing, which are pretty amazing a lot of the time. And I'm getting into some other new software, which I'll talk about in a future episode. 
One last thing on AI. What do you use AI for? Well, let me know. It'd be great to hear from you and hear your thoughts on this and also today's subject. I'd love to be able to share what AI uses you have in photography because I can share them with all my other listeners and that'd be such a good thing. So get in touch. Let me know. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Next episode, I'm pleased that my voice has lasted this long and apologies if I sound a bit croaky. Well, Photography Explained podcast episode 145. What is the future for retro photography? Or is it all in the past? Well, (laughs) I love that title. Well, that was the plan, but no, this episode will have a part two. So it will be cunningly titled um, (laughs) Photography Explained podcast episode 145. How technology and cameras helps us to take photos part two. (laughs) <laughs> the retro episode is pushed back in time over oh, the irony i pushed the past back another two weeks <laughs> right sorry i need to gather myself here my survey yes my survey is still out there my september survey for the, for the photography explained podcast is still on the podcast website just a few questions that should take less than a minute to answer just head over to photographyexplainedpodcast.com forward slash survey And thanks for your help if you do. Yeah, I did put it up there for September, but I thought, well, it's not doing any harm, is it? Let's just leave it and see what people do. Okay, got a photography question you want me to answer in plain English in less than 27 minutes-ish, but still without the relevant details? You do? Great, just head over to photographyexplainedpodcast.com forward slash start. Well, this episode was brought to you by um, (laughs) yet another Good old-fashioned cheese and pickle sandwich. And shock news, no crisps. I know, no crisps. Very unusual. Must be having a healthy day. Or washed down with not Coke, not Pepsi, but a nice strong cup of tea with a drop of milk, which I'm sipping away at, sat here in my homemade, acoustically cushioned recording emporium. And I finally got the introduction and the beginning of my podcast right. I didn't realise I'd chopped things around a bit and I hated it every time I recorded it. So I've corrected that finally. Okay, I'm done. I've been Rick McAvoy. Thanks again very much for listening to my small but perfectly formed podcast. It says here. And for giving me between 20 and 30-ish minutes of your valuable time. I'm going to guess at 25 minutes after editing. Take care. Stay safe. Cheers from me, Rick. My brand new course, How to Become a Real Estate Photographer, Straight Talking Advice for Beginners to Get You Making Money Quickly and Build a Career, is available to buy now. Find out more at rickmacavoyphotography.com forward slash courses.